welcome to the Reflect of Rockslide, everybody. It's great to have you here. It's great to be joined by my friends who I'm going to turn to my left and introduce one of them now. I'm going to introduce the one, the only, David Leavesley. It's an absolute bloody pleasure to be here. Is this a reflect as well for Bide or is it just for Rockslide? It's a reflect also for Bide. Rockbide. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I might call it that. That's a good And uh, And I now turn to the man who's as solid as a rock, Tom Dale. Hello, and thank you for introducing me. And uh, yes, this is the Reflect. And to my left, I'd like to introduce you to the one and only Stuart Clark. Stu? Stuart? Stuart, that's your cue. Stuart, are you there? Stu- come on. Stuart Clark never misses a cue. Stu, come on. He's Pick never up. missed a Guys, Clark. There was a guy called Stu, but Wait. he died ten years ago. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Stu's podcasting from beyond the grave. It all makes sense now. (laughs) Stu is alive currently at the time of recording. If you're listening to this in 300 years... I'm going to touch some wood right now, If you are listening in 300 years and ours is the only piece of media that survived the great apocalypse, then I'm going to say that we're all not here. But, yes, Stu, um, apparently... He does this thing where he goes on stage and sings sometimes, but for money. And apparently it's needed for a whole week. I didn't know people still did that. No, I thought that... Yeah, Ali, have you ever heard of that? Never, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Stu is not here and joining us for this uh, Reflect, which he apologises for. But we know none of you will forgive him. And that's all we ask. to prepare a surprise question for the other two. So I thought we might kick off with one of those. David. My question is, lad, Vipen's gym. Like we now, we know that Vipen is a gym leader, but we don't know anything about what that gym looks like. If you were to get into that gym as Brandy, what are you hoping for from a team? What are you hoping for from aesthetic? What are you hoping for from that gym battle? It's tough to nail her down, isn't it? With a, a Bufalon and a Magnazone. You're yeah. like, what? Actually, what typing is she? Yeah. Um, is it just rideable Pokemon? That could be it. So, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so rather than rather than maybe the standard gym challenge, perhaps maybe it's some kind of race course. It's, it's actually like a race for a gym. Very Orange Islands, if people mm. are interested in the <laughs> Pokemon lore. I love the Orange Islands. We very much established from the League of Dark Type trainers that uh, it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's it sounds as though um, Kitan was it Kitan? Yeah, Kitan's gym was almost strange for just being a plain old battle. Like there's yeah. mazes in gyms, and it's done completely in the dark, and blah blah blah. So like, I do like the idea of not your conventional. No, I would love to see like a fashion show instead of like a gym battle, that sort of stuff, you know? Mm. Oh, that's end that's endgame Wallace. <laughs> that's Barnaby Timms's gym. Yes. The Barnaby Jims. Barnaby, Barnaby Jims. Oh, thank you very much, David. So let's move on to a listener question. Was the Medicham evolution planned for the first Bidep 
or second by depth from the start. And also, a, s- a side question, when did Adri catch their Medicham? David, question would, on everyone's lips. would you like to answer in Stu's absence regarding the Medicham kind of evolution plan? I think the thing is that not a single one of our starter evolutions were planned at all. All of them were improvised. So Bowtie's evolution was just like, this feels like the right moment. In fact, I, as I think we've talked about in a previous Reflect, for a while it wasn't. It was going to be It was going to be the series of steps <laughs> turning into a gesture of trust. Um, Note editor, Lop- delete the audio. Delete this audio. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lopany was improvised as well because it felt right. And so, yeah, Metatram just happened because, I mean, A, it happens at that point. Theo is the only one whose starter hadn't evolved. And second of all, <laughs> it happened because it just felt like the right moment. What was frust- what was frustrating was that Theo had gone through so much evolution. That's this is the most pretentious thing I'm going to say. But the- Theo had gone through so much evolution, but we just hadn't had like a moment for Medicham in a while. Mm. We had to kind of semi-manufacture one in the Bidet. But actually, that Medicham legit did really well in that fight. So yeah, Meditai in the steam eruption sky attack arc. When you think about it, was actually very key throughout the whole arc, and it sort of gained we felt like enough experience to do it. And it wasn't like we'd gone like, oh, we need Meditite to evolve. But I think you become conscious as a group for a while if both my starter and Ali's starter had evolved, that it was sort of time for Meditite to evolve at some point. And I think Stu sort of thought that the best way to do that would be with a battle with Adri. And we didn't know how the battle with Adri was going to go. David just rolled, you know, really well. And actually, you know, the tactics had come through. Yeah. So it felt, felt right. Yeah, it definitely, I will say that it felt odd to a degree because it's like the middle of an episode. It's like technically like a filler arc in so many ways. You know, like it wasn't like end of a plot line like the Mm. other two evolutions were. So to a degree, Mm. it was it was truly unexpected and also was like quite unusual. But actually what was nice is hearing that the audience responded to that scene really well, feeling like that was like a moment. Like it's quite easy to forget when moments feel like moments because we record so many scenes all the time particularly yeah. over lockdown when we've been doing like an episode a week. Yeah. So to then have people go, oh, this scene was actually really formative. It's like, oh, so that was the right moment for Meditite to evolve. That felt like a great sort of closing of the loop, a finishing yeah. of the hat, as it were. Ali, I throw to you. Where did Adri catch their Medicham? I think Adri specifically sought one out during that month off. Adri went off for a couple of days, was mysteriously vague about it. And stumbled across, like, an old library or something. But instead of reading the books, Medicham was just punching them. I think to add an addendum to the story is that the Medicham was already owned by the person in the library who didn't really like the Medicham very much. The Medicham sort of worked at the library but didn't really understand the Dewey Decimal System or any form of alphabetizing that was meant to go on at the library. So basically fleeced Adri. And Adri spent so many per diem points to buy the Medicham from the owner of this library because they just knew it would annoy Theo, which is why mm. Adri doesn't have any money. I'm going to say that now. <laughs> yeah, that's why Adri hasn't left, hasn't left the ship. Like yeah. they, they were desperate to leave and then spent all their money on this and then goes, oh, I have buyer's remorse, but it was worth it. <laughs> got a question here from Smam, another Patreon member, and Smam, Smam. Smam 
Uh, Smam says, this arc, we've heard all of your Kermit impressions, but what about the other Muppet impressions, such as Miss Piggy? Mrs. Piggy, Kermit! That's good, that's good. I like it. I, like I can it. say Kermit, and that's about it. <laughs> I, I can do um, Fuzzy Bear, but only from Muppets Treasure Island. Just ask Mr. Bimble. He lives in my finger. He's been to the moon. <laughs> Twice. Very, very good. I don't I don't have a Muppet. I mean Give I'd me love to do an impression. Chef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could probably do a, a bork 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 bork. <laughs> yeah, I could do a Swedish chef. That was I could so do a beaker. Beaker. <laughs> I'd love to do an impression of all of Diana Ross's appearances on the Muppets. Uh, I'd love to do an impression of Liza Minnelli's Copacabana, which was if you haven't seen, is one of the greatest moments in the Muppets history. Now, so that was a that was a sort of silly question. So we're on to a slightly more serious question. <laughs> I love where... how you're like, oh, that was so silly, silly. Yeah, but we need to be very oh, serious silly. now. Sorry, oh, sorry, was, we should have been a... so silly. Ugh. Oh dear, we had a real tangent there, didn't we? we silly, did, silly, did, silly. We, oh we goodness, slap I like to, I like to mix up the questions so it's sort of silly, serious. You know, there's different vibes. So let's go to a serious question, which is from Jeremby, who has asked a question for the arc as a whole, and this includes Bide as well. How do you feel? the characters have developed as people and how has the bond between the characters developed? Now, Jerembi asks this question every reflect, which is very nice of you, Jerembi, because I think it's important for us to look at this question and to sort of ask, because if our characters haven't developed at all, what's the purpose of the arc, really? Just, <laughs> that is the per- that is basically a filler arc. If nothing changes, if you could cut out an arc and not feel like the characters have changed, then there's probably no point to that arc whatsoever. I think, actually, this arc for... Brandy was the least significant arc for her, probably, only in that what we've seen for her is more her relationship with Tallahassee Bingeworth and her reliance on him in a way because of her sort of issues now with confidence. And a bit of a spoiler for the next episode, but I will say that kind of that kind of makes sense in the next episode. It is a progression, but maybe a more negative way. Very much like the scree slope we were ascending, uh, that she feels the sort of ground beneath her slipping away, and I think needs something to hold on to. And at the moment, it's Tallahassee Bingeworth, and and to an extent as well, uh, Theo, uh, in this arc, certainly as they were trapped in the car for the majority of the time, and and mm. Theo was the one to really resolve the colossal situation. Brandy's big pivot in this season is that Brandy was originally the normie. There's now the it's part of the supernatural plotline, mm. and so I think mm. that although it's unimportant in some degrees, this was the first one where Brandy had to consider being a character in an abnormal plotline who is otherwise very down to earth. And I think that that's been a really interesting journey. That so far, I think we will continue to see this season is like what does Brandy do when she is confronted with the supernatural? I, I totally agree, and I and I do think. Again, sorry, this is a bit of a dodge answer to this question, but I think in the in the next episode that is released, it sort of sums up where Brandy is mentally from some excellent GMing from Stuart Clark, of course, sort of forcing Brandy to confront, as David was saying, that supernatural element that Brandy now seems to find herself in. <laughs> uh, but let's go to Theo, who had a bit of a hero moment. Oh my God, yeah. I think actually... What was interesting is it felt like Stu, I, I guess you were sort of mentioning there with your own character, Tom, but I feel like Stu made some really great assessments of Theo this season. And I think those are the moments where Theo has found the most growth. Because I think that 
you know, season one, we had Theo learning to be emotionally available. And in season two, we had Theo kind of settling into their own skin and being able to be competent in public again after sort of a disastrous series of dice rolls in season one. Um, <laughs> and then I think in season three, when we did the Medicham Medicham scene, Stu very astutely was like, I want to know more about why the King's Rock is what Theo is after. Like we know what Theo has done in pursuit of the King's Rock, but why is Theo in pursuit of the King's Rock? And I think a lot of this arc allowed for that to be explored a little bit more, the ideas of like worthlessness and um and low self-esteem and how those all feed into their relationships with Adri and with Kanan and like abandonment issues and and wanting to be wanted and those are all things that we're going to keep seeing throughout the arc in particular I th- I think over this arc and and definitely the next one I really realized that the the parallels between Theo and Brandy and Kenny in a way because mm. it's very it's very easy to see them as like you would never think that Kenny and Theo for example are are similar at all but i think inside they are it's just how they kind of showcase that outwardly is very different i think it's abide in that first couple of episodes of abide all three of us had moments where our characters talked about feeling like they weren't enough and i remember that during that episode we had that moment where we were like are all of our characters motivated by the same thing even though they're very different people i think actually that's like a very prudent point because fundamentally a lot of people are motivated by actually a very small amount of mental health issues or deficits or neuroses or Mm. psychosis a lot of different people are actually doing very different things because they all feel worthless and i think that it's interesting to have a podcast in which three very different people have done very different things because of the same stimuli i think the other big thing about theo which again was a stew moment was when we were doing the slow poke colossal stampede moment is that Stu in that moment in the discussion around it figuring out what we were going to do Stu said very accurately that he felt like Theo had been relying too much on like supernature as a solution to problems in that situation Stu went no I want Theo to use their brain Theo is intelligent where is Theo's intellect and knowledge of environment and knowledge of Pokemon going to come into this? I think that that is a big journey for Theo, is Theo being, Theo realising that you can be inspired by your environment, as they probably were when they taught battling at the church tower, um, and they can be impulsive, but it doesn't have to mean that you punch a wall, and it doesn't have to mean <laughs> that you will-o'-wisp everything that you see. I think over this season, Theo gets better at being intuitive, but also being intelligent at the same time. Now, Ali, on to, on to Kenny, who, you know, traversed time in this in this series, in, in this arc, also met the person responsible for the big incident at the stadium, um, yeah. had a sort of small cult um, form around <laughs> um, around what Kenny would do. So tell yeah, us. Like I say, just a normal Thursday. <laughs> Definitely in the life of Kenny. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think without, again, without wanting to give too many spoilers away, the, the next arc is a continuation of very significant personal growth from from Kenny. He, for the first time, kind of saw how his life could be useful. And I don't just mean using poker powers to turn back time. He used his interaction with Melissa and all the heartbreak and pain and difficulties that those two went through in Steam Eruption and Sky Attack to actually help repair a family, to bring someone on the brink back to a semblance of normality and to give them a second chance and to take them out of their cloud that they were under 
and benefit and, and benefit their son. Kenny couldn't help but see an alternate reality in which he is Luan, and and he w- and he would have wished for someone like himself in that moment. I think Kenny gets a lot of got a lot of confidence from that, and took to being a bit of a leader. Kenny has shown moments of leadership throughout this story, but actually being placed as a leader is something that no one's really done before because he's you know he's a sort of positive, uh, easily distracted young man and and people kind of disregard him. He he grew a lot in in that moment. Think- and then he also went back in time and changed the whole world well, forever. Yes, we had a big chat, a massive chat about what Kenny and Slow King would say to each other. When you when you play the character after we essentially create law, you 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 kind of need to disassociate everything you actually know and try to respond in the moment. That is actually one of the hardest things I think about. Oh, the kind it's, of it's so game hard. That we're playing at the moment yeah. is that when you have slept rules and you, or at least you are trying to come up with a cohesive story that is improvised, that none of us know what the story is. The rules are being created on the fly, and we're trying to maintain an internal logic. That, as you say, when you're trying to then play a character within that who doesn't necessarily know all the rules or know the yeah. internal logic, like it's, I, it's really I could, difficult. I could probably map out the steps that Kenny, quote, should do in order to fulfil what I, quote, think should happen. But then is, that's not being true to the character. And actually, exactly. Stu as GM, if you were here, I'm sure would emphasise that actually it's character, 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 this story, and that every decision mm. that happens is a consequence of our actions. This story is not happening to us. It's happening because of us. Mm. Um, so true. And I think you're right. I think that's the way we sort of do it. So rather than trying to establish things before moments happen, we usually try and improv them first and then yeah. figure out, okay, so if that happened, then how how do the law of the world work around, like, why would that make sense? And how yeah. does that make sense? Because it has to, really, as we said, because that's what the character did. So mm. there's obviously I a think, reason for that. Yeah, I think it makes sense as well, because it's interesting that the more predetermined that Kenny's life gets as this plot goes on, like, we've seen images of Kenny being involved in why Swirly was inside the church. We've seen um, that Kenny has no power over being able to stop Bowtie being rejected by... Uh, oh, Margot okay. and has no power over the decisions with the King's Rock and yet the more powerless Kenny is to time and to magic the more proactive Kenny gets in his life like as time goes by mm. the more he has to surrender himself to the fact that time and power and whatever his destiny is seems completely outside of his hands the more he gets better at not just like in season two he only stepped into leadership roles when there was a vacuum because Brandy and Theo were both too vain to be able to do anything. <laughs> um, and in this season, he's actually gone, no, being an empath means that I am a good leader. It doesn't mean that I am weak and it doesn't mean that I am torpid. It means that I can do things. The powerlessness in the face of his own powers leads to that in its own way. a couple of questions here uh someone's written who came up with tallahassee bingeworth and then another person has said from an out of character and in character perspective what prompted brandy's relationship with tallahassee go on tom take it away david well, and i can just, just sit back well, on no, this one. I, I was just gonna say this is a bit of a quick one because tallahassee was more of a more of a sort of joke one of my favorite things to do on the podcast is to mess with Stuart clark the gm and just do things that he's not expecting 
And, you know, when he listed out all the characters, I just couldn't help adding another character who we hadn't seen before. And I thought it would be funny if he was a southern man called Tallahassee Bingeworth. And yeah, I was then not expecting to see Tallahassee Bingeworth in the podcast. And, and then all of a sudden he was there. And, <laughs> and so now it's we've so funny of... to think before you answered something. It's so funny to think that if she hadn't picked up on that, we probably would never would have mentioned him again. And it would have been a genuine reflect question to be like, who and what and where is Tallahassee? And we would have had to create this whole storyline of what he is and who he is. And, and now we know. <laughs> well, yeah. And in, in the answer to this sort of from an out of character and in character perspective, um, I won't say the in character perspective, because, again, I think there's more to Tallahassee than meets the eye and we're going to find out in future episodes but from an out of character perspective was very much just a joke it's it's really you are the definition of chaotic good tom because all you do <laughs> is just create absolute anarchy but then you are such a good improviser that you then allow it to actually become a coherent consistent part of this world and so none of us can none of us can then retcon the characters that you create and by god i wish i could yes, my god, <laughs> there are there are we so many it, annoying men it, with stupid said, names said, i want to get rid said, of for this said, podcast said david the lawful evil coming out there in a big (laughs) but yes thank you very much um, alaskan weeb who asked that question and jerembi so thank you for those ones ali do you have a surprise question for the group I do, I do. I want to give the listeners a little peek behind the curtain, if you will, and reveal that we actually re-recorded quite a pivotal scene. Can the audience guess? In your heads, audience, think about a scene that you've listened to and try and guess in your head which scene that is. Okay. You've all got it right. (laughs) Very good. Well done. Well Well done. done. Now, so we re-recorded the scene between Luan, Rodri and Kenny in the last episode Rock Slide of Rock Slide 5. I don't think that the first recording that we did was necessarily bad, but I did have an issue with it when we recorded it, and I just thought, you know what, I'll, I'll go with it. It's a yes and podcast. But remembering the first one and having listened to the new episode again, mm-hmm. what are your guys' thoughts on the re-recorded scene and the benefits of the first one in comparison to the second one and vice versa? Um, David, would you like me to take this one? Please, I beg of you. Um, uh, David remembers the, the, the real question I have here. Scene. The real scene? question I have here is uh, Rockslide, the Violet Letters Out, is it? Okay, well, I'll just. Um, I'm just gonna... To give context to David and to the audience, the original scene that you've not heard, but David has heard, basically involved Luanne losing her powers. Losing her powers, effectively. Yeah. And Kenny, Kenny was had, curing, like, had yeah. like cured her. And that that was what she this, that was yeah. what that was what she needed in order for her relationship with Rodri to grow again and to heal again. And yeah, I think I think it was definitely the right move to redo that because instead, what we went for, if the audience or members of the podcast may may not know, uh, <laughs> the new the new version is actually where Luanne still has her powers and still very much has to come to terms with the fact that she you know, may lose control at some point. And it just it just fit a lot better. The way we've done poker powers in this storyline is that Kenny's wanted to get rid of them from the start. 
because they're a problem. The poker powers are a problem. And all the poker power people we've met so far is they, due to their meetings with Frey, have lost control of their powers and are ostracised because of it. And actually, we sort of thought, do we want to tell a story where actually the answer to something that perhaps you are born with, that we're not saying you can't change it, but perhaps... You know, you'd have to go on an epic quest in order to change it. Do we want to say that, oh, the answer is, once you get rid of it, actually you can have a great family life. And once you're <laughs> cured of that, then, yeah, you, it all works out. And we just thought, I'm not sure that's the story we want to tell. Or, as Ali quite rightly pointed out, it's not really the journey that, that Kenny's on. As we've said, Kenny is learning to use their powers in a way more so than just time travel or losing control and burning people accidentally. It's more about the empathy that comes with the powers and using your powers as a way to relate to other people. Listening to the original version of that scene, you're right, it doesn't make sense. And it'd be interesting to hear Stu's opinion of the scene and and what he thought about with the original version, introducing the idea that Luan had lost her powers. And I, I, I would assume that was to do with maybe adding another facet to Kenny's power. I think I think that was the motivation behind it was that it m- made Kenny a bit more powerful. For me, without wanting to get too kind of serious for a second, I've always treated and seen the poker powers in our podcast as a metaphor for mental health and it's almost like mental illness in a way. And the story I want to tell with Kenny is yes, you you might have problems in your head. You might have, you know, things that you have to deal with mentally for your whole life but that doesn't define you and that it can be it can lead to amazing wonderful things and you can be stronger because of it the story i want to tell is that these poker powers they don't necessarily define you and if you if you can sort of own them you can change the world i would also say that you know we're a very queer friendly podcast as well and we have been very inclusive uh, in our story about the world that we've created and you don't want to create a story that says that the only way to be different is to assimilate by Mm. removal it doesn't work as an idea of like the only solution of mental health is lobotomizing the ill and it also is not the only way to be queer is to be converted it's also not the solution of the only way to be trans is to be in the closet we can't create a world in which the solution to problems is is erasure like there is an interesting way of exploring it in which kenny has the ability to remove it and then explores the idea of what is that power is that something that is of interest considering that there is a way that we could have a world with harmony but i do think that not having it it's it's an atomic bomb we don't need in this plot line because we already have enough like massive like juggernaut powers who are trying to exploit or explore what poker powers are i feel like we're too late in for something that big to not be reductive if you know what i mean agreed i'm quite glad that we we went back over it and it's nice also to have a little safety net for us as players personally yeah. just because I think it's the sometimes only... you've been Sorry. in the game we've all been there in a game where uh, or even just a conversation where you say something and you think mm, is that really what I wanted to say or is that really the point that I was making in that game or in that conversation so it actually adds I think to a level of freedom with the improv as well to know I, I will say we haven't done that with any other scene in the podcast no I was about to say that as well we've only cut a line rather than change an the scene, scene. a scene's yeah. direction in that way. Yeah. Good question, Ali. Thank you very much. And I, I sort of, this leads on nicely to a question from Dark Holson. Dark Holson, your question got me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Dark Holson said, You have a wonderful spectrum of characters. 
are you thinking of adding any disabled characters? And they write in parentheses, my son has cerebral palsy and has been asking. So that, that got me, Dark Holson. And I think you're very right to point that out. And I'm very pleased that you asked that question because we have not had any disability representation on the podcast so far, as far as I'm aware, certainly with any of the characters we've introduced. And I think that's, that's a really interesting thing to look at as well. So if you look at the characters that I introduce, or even as just like side characters, people that I introduce are usually men, able-bodied men. And I think that just comes with a level of privilege that we're at, that it, it's just the kind of go-to where I'm like, oh, that's relatable to me. And therefore, that's the character I'm going to go with, with some quite slight personality quirks here and there. But I think you're right, Dark Holson. And I think we can all commit to, certainly in season four, to trying to think more about when we introduce new characters. Are they able-bodied? Do they have some form of disability or neurodivergent in some way? Um, And something I think we can definitely add to. So thank you for raising that. And I'm so pleased you listen with your son. I think it's a really good point and we absolutely should create more characters that are both neurodivergent and different, differently abled into this podcast. I want to go away and do more reading before I bring those characters in myself because I think that I often, as you said, Tom, like you bring in a lot of um, cisgender, able-bodied men and <laughs> yeah. I also bring in a lot of queers all the time because I'm like, <laughs> that is the that is the different experience that I can bring into this podcast. Mm. Like that is, the, that is the varied experience I can bring in. While I think that we are all sensitive people who would never create a character that wouldn't be empathetic, I know that I don't think I know enough about what it would be like to be blind or deaf or Mm. to have cerebral palsy or to have motor neurone disease or to um, have chronic exhaustion. I don't know enough to create that character. So that's something that I, as sort of a pledge, that I'd like to go away and spend more time to know how I'd create characters that have those conditions without doing it half-heartedly. Thank you very much, Dark Holson. And I will come straight to Dark Holson's second question. You've added region variants, but will you be adding region-specific Pokemon? And one of our paladins, Aurora, asks uh, a very similar question. Have we ever thought about adding our own Pokemon? So what, like got... Fakemon? Yeah, Fakemon. Ooh. I mean, the next arc contains a lot of, uh, I guess you could call them variants on Pokemon. <laughs> you'll, you'll see, you'll see yeah. what we mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we've not introduced any Fakemon, problem, I don't think, yet. I think, for me, the problem with Fakemon is that there's no point of reference for a Fakemon. Whereas, obviously, mm. the joy of a Pokemon podcast is I can say the word Bulbasaur, and there is a shared knowledge amongst the listenership and us who know what a Bulbasaur looked like. Now, I understand when Barbarical showed up in Season 2, no one had any idea what we were talking about, as did none of us at all. And we all looked it up and thought, yes, wow, that's we've got to try and describe this. But think about how hard it was for us to describe Barbarical and that it was a collection of hands and rocks, but the hands had eyes in. And and that would be what it would be like to do a fakemon. <laughs> it would be trying to sort of be like, it's like a brick, except this brick has an umbrella that shoots electricity <laughs> out of 17 small safety pins. But it, <laughs> but it also flies. Like, it, it just you just wouldn't be able yeah. to get a handle on it, which is why I think we haven't thought about a regional specific Pokemon. That's not to say we won't, but... As of yeah. this moment. Variants yeah. are much more fun because I think you can just adapt what we already know and put a different spin on it. Like, I love that Torkoal in the Formula region is fire flying. I think we've joked about a Vesper King and a Vesper Jester enough to make yeah. them 
I, I'm, I think they're almost canonical now. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. True. I mean, I, I have every plan that when the moment arrives, Jason is going to turn into one of them. <laughs> like, I have, like, listen, we've got a King's Rock-based plotline and a Vesper King evolution. Somehow these things are all going to align. Gotta, like, I'm gotta, not, gotta not fighting out. it. But I think that also in those situations, even if we created a Vesper King or a Vesper Jester, all we have to do is, like, move around the stats on Vesperquin to be slightly different and like basically that's what a regional variant is of any pokemon is that they just move the stats around a little bit yeah alolan muck is the same as muck but maybe like special defense is higher and normal defense is lower so statistically mathematically it's really easy to work on but if we're creating pokemon and you want to fit it into like the stats of everything else that becomes very complicated in and of itself as well as just the visual aspect as yeah. well like mechanically it's a lot easier for us to just play with what we already know some quick fire ones for you this one's going straight to ali smam asks bow ties or regular ties obviously bow ties come on david i really love a regular tie i'm so sorry ali i, I just love a tie. I'm, I'm gonna side with david i'm sorry <laughs> the thing i like about regular ties is that they can be thin you can have a short fat one they come in multiple like a bow tie you just have a small or big bow tie don't get me wrong, you'll never see me wearing a bow tie, but I have to say bow tie. <laughs> you do have to say, contractually, you have to say bow tie. <laughs> yeah. Glarin asks, do you ever think you'll invite a guest to a podcast episode? I'd love to. It would have to be a special. It would definitely there's, have to be a yeah. special There's, there's no way. I mean, we are <laughs> we're so far ahead of the release <laughs> episodes that if we ever wanted someone, on, someone in canonically, they'd either have to know nothing about the podcast... Or we'd have to give them or some form of cheat we'd sheet. have to, yeah, we'd have to just tell them everything and ruin it. And I think the thing as, as well about guests is always scheduling. In that, as you can tell, four pe- four people is is hard to get schedules to combine anyway. Mm. So I I almost think a guest might, as as Ali said, being in a special, but it may not be a a special with five people in it. It might be just two of us and two guests or three of us and one guest or Stu GMing for three totally new people you know it... that's actually where Stu is tonight he's actually DM he's actually GMing a, a spin-off with three new guests three new guests he's actually <laughs> doing a full it's a full reboot actually we're at that point now where he's just rebooting critical ditto next question I'll answer this question from Carrie it's a paladin question and Carrie writes this is very specific Uh, but when you did the intro with the terrible accents was that planned to match with my inconsistent accent or was it just perfect serendipity so Carrie did a previously on Critical Ditto uh, as they are a Pokemon champion and did it with a (laughs) Irish accent or attempted Irish accent and that was just Pure serendipity, Carrie. Yeah, that's just how it luck. happened. You put the previously in that week, and that was the week where we did that intro. Because I'm going to tell you now, we did that intro maybe a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, you have a lovely question here about the Everburn tree and whether that was all part of Stu's plan or whether he crafted it into the story on the fly. And he's not here to answer it. So <laughs> we sorry could about probably that. we could probably guess that. I can only imagine it would have been relevant, but I don't know if he specifically intended it to be as relevant as it is. Yeah, I I, mm. I get the sense that Stu thought, ooh, there's a cool tree that's always on fire as a nice landmark to sort of, rather than just us in a forest, just thought that might mm. be a cool way to do it. And it might be a good way for Kenny to speak with Frey because there's a poker power affinity to, to this it, yeah. tree. Mm. But then 
I imagine the time travel situation and how the tree came into being was sort of then crafted later on. I mean, there's no, there's surely no way Stu could have mind-gamed me into making Gratuitous Candle attack Kenny with a flame at just the right moment that Kenny disappeared into the future. Like, surely that, surely, right? Right? Because he didn't even, because he didn't invent Gratuitous Candle, did he? We invented Gratuitous Candle. He said there was a statue near the tree. So he can't have known. Yeah, he can't exactly. have known. He can't Can have he? Known. C- could he? Could he? Wait. Okay, time for my surprise question. Hmm? David and Ali, I would like you to tell me, what is your favourite thing about Stu's GMing style or what you think Stu is very good at as a GM Ooh. blank stares uh, sorry Stu there's uh... <laughs> uh, I think my favourite thing about Stu is that over t- like I always I am somebody who is always incredibly nervous about thrusting more lore or like a big sea change into the episodes i haven't really done tabletop rpgs before this so this is like a first time with it so i'm always really nervous that what i'm gonna do is too much but either Stu accepts it and works with it and makes it something brilliant or he's very good at being able to explain why it wouldn't work like i i never feel afraid because of the three of you that my idea might be bad i simply feel bad because of how much i love narrative that an idea <laughs> might be bad yeah. so i really respect his ability to um to always yes and, but also to no but um, when it comes to really big, ludicrous set pieces. I, I think he's, he's just a brilliant improver. He like, really is. And he's so good at staying in character when he needs to, either for a com- comedic or pathos effect. He's, he, he's incredibly good at identifying our good ideas. Like I listen to quite a lot of D&D podcasts and I love D&D, but it's, it feels... It, almost always to me feels like it's one person's story and other people respond to it. And while Stu writes the vignettes and will have specific some specific characters in mind, actually so many things of our story have, have not been his idea. He's just gone with our good ideas. I don't think even like the whole Mind Palace thing was an original idea. The whole Rock Slide arc, the whole Foul Play arc just just organically came out of stuff that happened whereas i think some gms might have might have wrapped it up to get to where they'd already planned um and it's terrifying i mean we've all done one off one shots now and i don't know about you guys but like my my one shot was so kind of like there were beats that had to be hit and there was structure to it and and stuff and man it's difficult to get that balance between a story and improv i would i would wholly agree both of you and i i i I think that that that's my favorite thing about Stu's gming is that it is both i i feel extremely safe both from a narrative perspective narrative competency perspective in that i know that if i have a bad idea for example which is you know you will not be shocked to reveal is multiple times uh during an episode (laughs) i'm fully confident that Stu will be able to identify, as you've said, the good things, the bad things, and and take the good parts of it. The other part that David, you were saying with Stu, 
and why I think he's an excellent GM is that his level of sensitivity. So I feel safe with Stu, both from a narrative perspective that he will go with the good ideas and nothing I say will ever mess up the story, really, because Stu has it in hand. But also just from a personal and emotional perspective, Stu has that level of sensitivity where I, and care that I know he would never tread into areas that would be uncomfortable. And if I were to ever do that, he would be very aware to stop and explain or make yeah. sure that we were all okay with it. And yeah. is this where we want to go? If so, this is going to have to be handled with some care because, you know, there are episodes coming up, everyone, that deal with some issues stuff. It's scary to do. It's scary to put out there uh, into the world. But as I, as I've said, Stu has such a high level of sensitivity and empathy that I never feel afraid of exploring those areas because I know that he will always know the right thing if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah sure. it's really interesting that like when we started we created that red card system so that all of us have like a, a veto if we think that something yeah. is like the wrong like if we're going into the wrong waters if the territory is weird or like we're being on pc etc we have never used those cards ever no and that in part no. is that's a, that's a credit to all of us but i think if it's because as you said tom like stew stew knows that like all four of us know that actually inside out like he was um, he was sensitive i couldn't enough. ask for three better allies in this podcast but yeah agreed he, he was sensitive enough to come up with the red card system which shows you that he he, he does care about us all and our own well-being uh, we we always like to say this podcast should not be a stress for any of us. We should not have any worries about it. This should only be fun. And if it ever stops being fun, that's probably the time to stop. So it's good that we're all still having fun. And I would say it's mainly down to Stuart Clark. Uh, yeah. Let's let's cut all this, guys. I don't need to this <laughs> enough. Remby, the patron, asks, What went slash is going through Theo's head after their conversation with Adri in Bide 2? As a whole, with everything they said, but especially when Adri told them that the only one who could tell them that they were worth something was themselves. Also, did they think slash are they thinking about the fact that them being evasive and closed off was what caused Adri to drift apart from them and no longer be their friend, causing how their relationship is now? Jeremby, you love Adrifomansk. I know that for a huge fact, and it's clear in this question. David, <laughs> I hand over to you to explain Theo's thought process, the relationship with Adrifomansk, and give Jeremby some form of closure. But let's start with part two first. The subject of how Theo was as an adolescent growing up is going to become an issue that we learn about in this podcast cast going forward and even if it's not necessarily about Adri directly what you're about to learn is a lot of stuff about how Theo reckons with what Adri said it's it's going to come up you're going to learn some stuff there may be some trombones that's all I've got to say on that one <laughs> um, on on part one I guess I guess it's it's annoying for Theo in that situation because the conversation left them with no closure it left them with absolutely nothing they won a battle and it absolutely solved nothing Theo actually left more frustrated after that but I think this season will give us more calm for Theo after that realization I think there are a lot of moments that are going to come up explore that Theo's idea of being detached from things is not 
feasible or possible anymore. But yeah, I think that that is the big thing for for Theo and for a lot of people who are like Theo is that being told that the only way to fix yourself when you are maybe chronically a fixer is to fix yourself it's like a really complicated thing to unweave and i don't think that they fix that out in a day or a month i think that's going to be something that even our podcast ends if theo's still alive um that theo's <laughs> gonna have to work on like i don't think that we should i don't think that any of our characters psychoses are going to be solved by the end of this podcast no i love that thank you for answering that david and a quick fire question here from pokemon crossroads does Bunnelby do counselling for the whole group? And what are their rates? Um, <laughs> I'd imagine they do counselling for the whole group. The whole I group needs it. I think we've mentioned before that Theo had booked out Dr. Bunnelby for a long, multiple yep. days. Brandy certainly confides in Dr. Bunnelby. And, you know, Kenny has had the, had an on-screen session with Dr. Bunnelby as well. Yeah, with exactly. So I do think Dr. Bunnelby is setting up a practice, really. I imagine <laughs> when the ship is parked and has been parked over the month Certainly in the bide section, you know, Dr. Bunnelby has sort of attracted a, a bit of a following as a sort of roving psychiatrist or therapist. And is uh, uh, in terms of their rates, I, I wouldn't even want to get into it. I think the crew have a discount rate, but I think it is <laughs> high. I like the idea that Bunnelby did it for free for a long time and then Snorleone taught Bunnelby what money is. Because <laughs> oh, Bunnelby has the so concept of, of profit. And Love then Snorleone was like, I think actually like Snorleone has an 80-20 split with Bunnelby um, <laughs> as, as Bunnelby's manager. So Snorleone is profiteering hugely off becoming a member of the well, psychiatric scene. If Brandy, Kenny, and Theo became gym leaders, what would their theme or type specialization be? I think for Brandy, she is just based on the Pokemon she currently has, uh, would be more of a normal type specialist. But I almost feel like her specialization might be in 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 the way that Theo's Theo is quite calculated and strategic. I almost think maybe Brandy's more in tune with a fighting gym in that way where it's it's quite aggressive it's a very aggressive gym so you're thinking fighting normal and fire types like quite in your face less on strategy more on willpower well how about you guys what uh what are kenny and theo's i'm leaning towards like in terms of type similarities with kenny ghost and dare i say it Kenny might join the Legion of Dark trainers. Oh my goodness, <laughs> what a get for the Legion of Dark type. A player character for the Dark well, Council. Well, just again, going by his team, like when uh, Dartrix evolves, I'd have two Dark types, two Ghost types. But I also, the thing with Kenny is, that I've, I've done mainly for jokes, but a lot of like the more sort of ferocious looking Pokemon, like Spiritomb and, and Gyarados, he keeps referring to them as super cute and adorable mm. the gym would have to be sub subverted in some way and i think he'd probably just he'd give a room to each of his pokemon team and like let them decide what the challenge is gyaradoses would be an art an art class dartrix would make you perform a musical theater number or something david i think we've established there's a gym in the conclave we've mentioned that there is a gym yeah there. 
I think for ages, Theo would have been like dreaming of becoming the next gym leader of that. Now that they're excommunicated, I don't think that's necessarily the aim. I think in terms of a gym structure, I think it's a classic. I think Norman's gym is like this in Hoenn, in that every room would be two doors that would be an A-B question system. And if you get it wrong, you have to fight a trainer. If you do, you just get through to the next room. Well, that's... Um, I, think that that's a... that, I actually think Norman's gym is quite good because it's not, it's not a question, I don't think. It's just two different types. It's like one hit KO room and yes. um, stall room, or I can't remember what they are. But it's yes. sort of, And I could definitely see Theo being like, it's just a strategy game. Basically, you have to come up against different styles. Yeah, of- it would be nice if every room had like, a t- like the trainer had like a particular team that used a strategy. So like one is like a sandstorm room. One of them is people who use a rain dance team. Somebody one of uses one a of red card. Red card, yes. Yeah, red the card. Theo's um, favorite move is the red card. Maybe that would be the structure of it then. But I, I guess that like Theo's theme in my mind for Pokemon has always been anthropomorphic. Like ignoring Togekiss entirely, all of the Pokemon <laughs> that Theo has are anthropomorphic in some way. They just, all turn into like a human King. Just wait for Vespa King. If you make Vespa King quadrupedal somehow, <laughs> like. Oh, but all of Theo's Pokemon otherwise are humanoid. So I think that is Theo's theme, uh, is is humanoid Pokemon because Theo sort of like expects a human level of intellect and empathy from Pokemon anyway. So if we ever see a Kabutops, if we ever see a Levani alongside Medicham, alongside Barbarical, um, alongside Vespa King and or Jester and or Quen... Um, I think that it's I think it's anthropomorphic Pokemon and in some way there's probably something you can do with that where it's probably maybe the Pokemon are the ones that ask questions or do something in there but I think that's Theo's Pokemon theme he's kind of like they're kind of like uh, sort of a, a blue in that I don't think they have a type I think it's just they are united by an aesthetic more than anything one as well very quick fire from aurora what legendary pokemon do you wish or think would be perfect for the surfloatzels mm. not the surfloatzels the surfloatzels individually just as in us as a group if we were to get one legendary pokemon let's put it at nice. that rather than all of us and i would say togekiss at this point is bordering <laughs> on legendary the law oh, going on all with right all the right <laughs> only that they're so mysterious they're their Pokeball is a box, David. That's There's nothing more legendary than that. An ancient box. You know what's more legendary than that? Owning a legendary. One for the whole group is tough. Yeah, I think it's better to go individually. Yeah. Well, I think I know what, what I'd choose for Kenny, but I don't know one that would symbolise the, the sort of chaos of the of the group. Maybe like Giratina or something. <laughs> I quite like the idea of, of Kenny's legendary being a shaman mm. because it's grassy. But also, like, it's about spreading joy i feel like theo would either go for a meloetta or a magierna something humanoid again i think there's something about the steel fairy that i quite like there's something quite sort of steampunk that i think theo has always leaned into a little bit for brandy it's quite tough because i really don't think she deserves a legendary or should get a legendary i think that would be very dangerous for the pokemon of of all of them that are owned though i think if Meltan were to evolve, that's probably the closest we've got. That's true, actually. Yeah. That is the most sort of pseudo... I mean, that, that definitely in terms of base power, it's it's the highest of, of any yeah. of them. Melmetal. 
I saw I'd love to see you with a Keldeo. I think that that would be really yeah, fun for Brandy. Yeah, I was for, looking for at Keldeo. I think Keldeo is almost too good for Brandy. I, I wonder if, if Brandy should get something really silly that just annoys her. to an, Like a Reggie Ice. She's got Reggie Ice that's just emotionless, doesn't interact with her at all, gives her the cold shoulder a lot. And I think it just gets on her nerves all the time. And I think they have a bit of, a bit of repartee. So it's either that, a Keldeo <laughs> or a Reggie Ice for Brandy. Thank you for that question, Aurora. And we'll finish off with a glaring question. Glaring, you've been asking a lot of questions and I love that. I love that, glaring. Thank um, you, glaring. What was everyone's favourite moment in this arc? Oh, it's so hard to look past Theo and the rain dance and the colossal. It is. It's so uh, honestly, like... that, honestly, that's my fave. <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's very tempting to, to pick one of the, uh, you know, thousand years in the past, but just like as an image. I just so clearly saw that. I saw the, the bird's eye view of this group of people and there's this horde of Pokemon just parting and then rejoining around them and then being perfectly safe. I just really visually, I saw that. <laughs> uh, my, my actually favourite moment of this art was probably Kenny's conversation with Frey. I was just about and, to say maybe that. Yeah. And just because I loved the idea of seeing Frey but as like a blue flame person in the, in the flames rather than seeing sort of full Frey and then sort of Andros appearing from one side and then Elaine the meowstic lady on one side and that amazing um, rhyming conversation that Ali and <laughs> Stu had about <laughs> Elaine was a real top moment I think um, Stu just immediately bringing out an endgame villain episode one, here we go remember okay. this person <laughs> and, yeah. and also like kind of had a fair point in Kenny's head it's a good villain another, another one, to, to give it us three moments so we've got you know, Theo with the rain dance, Kenny talking to Frey. I think my other favourite moment was Kanan throwing Slowpoke off the side <laughs> of the ship. And then um, and then Slowpoke with a little parachute and then speaking to... Um, Ainsley Able and Ableforth. Forth. Yeah, Ainsley and Ableforth. Was, um, was the, the destruction of the Infern Cape your least favourite moment, Tom? <laughs> Again, I'm sad that I wasn't editing that episode to edit it out properly, but uh, it was it, that was a tough moment to take. And I think a brilliant moment to prove that actually you can't really win against the Game Master in those situations when you've pushed your luck and you want to do something, and your heart's so set on it, you will it will come at a cost. And I think many, there will be many, and by many I mean just me, mourning the loss of the... Uh... <laughs> David and I are doing jumps for joy. <laughs> Sadly, well, so many Next, people... Barnaby Timms. sticking with us um oh god what was i recording don't oh. i'm joking you guys oh i got you oh you should have seen their faces everyone <laughs> goodbye have a great evening put the gun down david put the gun down i didn't mean to this is what happens this is what happens <laughs> <laughs>